Hi guys, welcome in. Today we're going to talk about the new HDB rules and I've invited our resident property expert, Gerald, to join us today. Hey guys, it's nice. It's good to be back. On your channel, I've also seen you mentioned in a tutorial, the breakdown. And I took notice of one particular change, which is the mature and non-mature estate changes, whereby singles can now buy in all areas. I have a relative that recently bought in Jurong area before this announcement. Ideally, if this had came out a bit earlier, she could have chosen a different place to live closer to parents and stuff. For the rest of the changes, I'll leave Gerald, you to explain to our audiences today. The government abolished the mature, non-mature estate uh, system because everywhere is getting mature. La. That's the issue, right? Then this classification didn't make sense. Um, but this only starts taking effect in the second half of 2024 for the new BTO project. So... Yeah, for your relative, even if she know, knew about it, will she wait, you know, another one, one and a half more years, right? Uh, then now, the next thing is that to replace the mature, non-mature estate, they now use this three-tier classification known as the prime housing, which is the same as your OPLH um, system. There is like the 10 years MOP, no whole flat rental. Um, then there's the full BTO eligibility, even for like resale buyers. So it's there's a lot of subsidy, but there's also the most amount of restrictions. Then now there's the new tier, the plus tier, which is like your in-between tier. So these are areas that are like near your MRT. There used to be BTOs, you know, um, near MRT in non-mature estates, but that's gone now. All of these will be considered your plus um, um property. So they have tighter restrictions like 10-year MOP. Um, there's also the subsidy clawback. Um, then there's some BTO eligibility conditions which have not been announced. Yeah, but they also enjoy more subsidies. So these are areas that are near MRT. So it doesn't have to be prime location. It can be in anywhere of Singapore. So it's near um, transport nodes or town centers. Then, of course, the last one would be your standard housing, which is everything else. And it follows the same uh, restrictions as the current uh, BTO flat, which is the five-year MOP. So they have some standard subsidies. And one thing I note is that from what we've learned from the prime location housing, right, the subsidies will come in the form of launch price. So remember, um, the famous one is the central weave, where the BTO prices were starting at 700k. But if you saw the recent one, the Kalang one, where we talked about in this channel, the starting price was only like 500k. Yeah, but then your MOP though. <laughs> <laughs> today we, we should have the debate on this MOP system and I guess a lot of our audiences listening today have a lot of thoughts themselves on these various changes. So let's have a debate in today's format. Uh, but before I get there, I'd like to quiz you a bit, Gerald. What, what do you think of the price trends in BTO? Because I actually pulled up some data that mm. previously encompassed Vail, Sengkang 10 years yeah. ago, four-room BTOs were only going at $251,000. Versus one that was launched in 2021 at Aogang, which is fairly near Compassvale. The launch price for Aogang starts from $324,000. That's like a 20% increment, right? Not too excessive, actually. If we factor it's a 10-year you know, gradual in inflation of that price. Mm. You think that you know BTO prices have climbed too fast or not? It's like the chicken rice, ah. it's $2 for the past five years, you know, but the portion is like this, starting <laughs> this size, but smaller and smaller, you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. I've even seen before some justification that her capital square foot is still the same because families are getting smaller. So the four-room flat can get smaller for the newer generation ones. But it's true, <laughs> la, per square, square foot-wise, yeah, maybe the increment is quite a lot. That's true. I never considered that. Yeah. So without further ado, let's start our discussion or debate today. 
with the first key topic. And as always, if you're listening in and you have your perspective, leave in the comment sections. We'll try to also hear what you think of these various changes. And the first debating point is really, are HDBs in the old scheme, the five-year MOP one, going to see more demand and appreciation because nobody likes 10-year MOP one? What do you think about it? For sure, because um, when the new this new scheme takes effect in second half um, next year, right, there's going to be a lack of supply of unrestrictive properties near MRTs. Interestingly, I actually did like an informal survey. I asked my friends, like, hey, what do you think of the new rule? You know, what do you think of the new rule? So, turns out I have two very distinct comments from my friends. So, the first, those that when they think of HDB, they think a lot of them think like, oh, I'm going to stay there for a long time. Those that have no intention of upgrading. So this 10 years MOP clawback doesn't really seem to affect them at all. They'll just go and buy a BTO or resale. Either way, it's fine as long as you can get their flat soon. But the other group of friends who have that intention, you know, hey, I want to upgrade in the future. Well, when those with that mentality, when they hear like, oh, 10 years MOP now. So they are very scared. They will straight away go to resale. So what you're saying so, is there's more demand for those with five years, that becomes a selling point really. Yes, it's now a big selling point. I kind of have a different point of view because previously MOP was three years. Then it actually changed in 2010 to five years. Then slowly, slowly we got used to it. It's like a boiling frog theory. Five years yeah. MOP, but now used to it. Then very soon we'll get used to 10 years and we wouldn't mind you know, uh, going towards that 10 years and not everybody rushing towards the five-year one. The selling point of five-year MOP may not last forever. People just get used to longer MOP and wouldn't want to overpay or give a premium for those that are in the five-year MOP. That's what I thought in terms of how people get used to different rules over time. But what about for ECs? What do you think is going to impact the EC market with this new MOP rule change? Right now, I've realized like ECs, the price quantum is becoming quite unreasonable in my opinion. Because the, the biggest issue with new launch ECs right, is that there is a $16,000 income ceiling. And because ECs uses MSR to calculate, you know, how much loan you can get instead of TDSR. So if we pop up the table, right? Um, if let's say you have the max $16,000 income, right? Max $16,000 income, uh, you can only get 1.05 million loan. Versus uh, if you buy a resale condo, sorry, uh, any other condo that's not like ECs, you can get $1.8 million. So if you look at the recent uh, EC, which is Altura, the cheapest place goes for $1.3 million, $1.37 million. So that means uh, assuming you maxed out your income cap, you know, you minimally need to fork out 300 um, plus thousand cash and CPF. That's assuming you buy the smallest flat. Hey, right? so are there two room flats? Because this F. is just three room, four room, five room. Yes. Oh, so there's no smaller units around. Yeah, and it's selling well. So I, I imagine like uh if like for the people who can afford the larger uh, rooms, right? You're looking at like um one million to one point four million cash. So what you're suggesting is maybe these are upgraders. They sold it, they're BTO already. They got a quantum yes, a there. A lot of them they had win four gains. Like my friend who bought uh the Ishun one, he also had a win four gain from selling his HDB. So then maybe like example, 200, 300K um, gains, right? So that helps a lot when by trying to buy a, an EC that you at least need to fork out 300K cash. Wow. I didn't realize you're selling well at this price. Maybe moving mm. forward, government should not increase the ceiling cap too much. Because uh, if we increase the ceiling cap, that means more people can qualify and bid up these EC prices. 
if we keep it at 16,000, which we have been increasing for the last few cycles already, then maybe the pool of qualified buyers would remain there and that would cool the market and uh, reduce the expectations that developers actually have when they make yeah. these selling prices. So let's make a guess, right? You know, you see the tables, it starts at 1.3 million, it goes up to 2.37 million. Hmm. Um, what do you think is the percentage sold on launch day? 50% of them sold out. Yeah, 61% to be exact. Close. That shows that there's so much money. <laughs> a lot. Singaporeans have cash. Maybe some retiree that, you know, sold off, retired, no, no income, can afford that capital use it as a downgrading machine. There are some groups that could exploit this because a new couple definitely can't afford this capital. Correct. Taking a quick pause here to invite you to smash on like and smash on subscribe to stay tuned for more quality financial content. But I think it's because of, you know, people who are buying ECs now are people who bid for BTOs almost 10 years ago. Mm. Because they have, you know, wait for the building to complete another five years MOP, right? So for those people, I think the capital gains are somewhere in the realms of 250 to 300, 400k even uh, gains. So those that got um choice location, right? Some of their gains are 500 plus 600k. Uh, that leads us to the second key debate topic. How much of this clawback is going to be effective? Because this new scheme of plus and prime, there is clawback on the overall selling price, correct? So much gains, then they're yeah. going to... So do you feel that this method of regulating HDB prices is going to be effective or not? It's like another form of COE. Lah. But um, when I look at the current way it's implemented, I don't really think it'll be effective because on launch, they will tell you what the clawback is. Like the current Kalang one, if I recall, is 6%, right? And once you know how much the sum will be, you will just price it in. And psychologically, right? Uh, I think people have this loss aversion so then uh, let's assume like, you know, other expenses. First scenario, you buy your flat for 400K and you know that there's a 20K clawback, right? Would you sell it at a 20K loss, your flat for 400K and, or would you wait until it's 420 then sell it, right? So psychologically, when people hear of loss, uh, they're just very scared. Um, mm -hmm. So I would think that for people to sell, unless they have some urgent family need, I think that most people would, Price it in. I was thinking for most data for BTOs, there's usually a gain. What? Getting yes. to that loss aversion space may not come true. It's just a, a fraction of how much gain only. Hard to say there because now for prime location housing, yes, the subsidies are great, but now the new buyers have to face huge restrictions. So we haven't seen the first batch of prime location housing being sold to the market yet. So mm. we don't know how the market will respond. If, you know, let's say you want to buy a new flat, you need to wait 10 years now. It's in uncharted territories. When I look at how ABSD came about and took effect, there wasn't so much ability to embed that into a selling price. A lot still depending on supply, demand, what's the general market sentiment, whether the economy is doing well or not. Let's move on to the third debate point also. What do you think of this, which is you know making its rounds? It's going to be harder for HDB buyers to upgrade in future to condo. Even with these cooling measures, it's not going to be too effective. What do you think of this? Is it going to be harder or not? Mm, for sure. What I understand now is that the market structure is that most um, new condo or first-time condo buyers already rely on HDB gains to mm. buy their first condo. So to eliminate this um, source of um, opportunity, right, would mean that a lot of people now no longer have the ability to buy condo. Lah. 
one thing I look at is that the price gap between HDB and condos and ECs in particular is getting very significant. Let's just look at the a very extreme example, right? You know, Central Weave, which is the famous um Angmokyo BTO, the five room flat, crazy big size, selling for eight hundred k. That is still six hundred k less than the smallest unit in our EC. If EC prices continue to move upwards, do you um, feel it will catch up or not? Of a chart uh, between HDB five room resale versus condos, this chart suggests that previously the gap wasn't too big in terms of per square foot. Yeah. Then increasingly, right now, it's past 600, past 800 as compared yes. to Frio condos per square foot wise. This gap suggests that it's going to be harder and harder for HDB owners to upgrade, right? Because the gap is getting bigger. I don't think it will trend down, I think it will stabilize. Lah. So then instead of like, you know, continue spiking, it would just um, flat. The curve will be slower. I actually think this gap could actually trend downwards, surprisingly. Because as you mentioned just now, HDB upgraders require that windfall gain to buy a condo. If there's certain cooling measures on HDB, it will also impact the condo sentiment. Government can tighten in terms of the borrowing that could cool the condo market. It's just not the priority for them. That's why they've been clamping down on HDB. So I do believe this could actually trend downwards. And with interest rates now spiking up, maybe a lot of people choose to be more prudent than in previous years. They don't believe that condos will deliver that big gains already. So they are not willing to overpay for condo, which naturally means that HDBs could catch up in terms of the pricing. And this gap could trend back downwards to something uh, a bit lower. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, when many complain that they can't afford HDBs, it's usually a function of income problem, not really that HDB prices are crazy or what. And the good part is there's data that shows that Singaporeans' income has been growing along the years. Uh, there's this viral video of this young lady who actually bought a condo at the age of 23 simply because she has a business that derives a high income. I, I saw this video and I was, I'm was i very happy for her like, and I'm amazed for her, just worried uh, as a prudent uh, investor, right? That because if she stretched herself too thin, then the regular payments on month to month, you're looking at um $5,000 monthly installment. So that's just one consideration. Like even you have high income, that could really impede uh, your ability to service the monthly mortgage given the high interest rate environment. Mm. Uh, in terms of what you said earlier on property prices moving together, right? You know, when I was looking at historical prices um, during the recessions, I noticed HDB didn't really dip. Eh? The, the prices kind of stayed flat, but condo prices really were swung up and down, up and down. So I would think that condos are much more volatile compared to HDBs. Hmm. I think in part also, there's a lot of foreigners investing in um, um, condos. Lah. So I would think that, yes, they move together, but condos are significantly more volatile than HDB though. So you listening in, if you have different thoughts on our debate points, whether it's going to be harder for HDB owners to upgrade in future, let us know in the comment sections. Thank you, Gerald, for sharing your thoughts today in this discussion. No problem. Happy to be here. And as always, a smash a like, smash a subscribe, and together we'll see you in the next video. Take care as always. Goodbye.